This is the Asian Madness Podcast, a podcast where we discuss all things true crime, morbid, mysterious, and odd from the Asian continent. I am your host, Jessica. Hi friends, and welcome back to the Asian Madness Podcast. It's somehow already 2024, and I don't know what happened. Happy Holidays, Merry Christmas, Happy New Year, and Happy Anything That You Celebrate. If you do New Year's resolutions, I wish you the best of luck, because sticking to goals is really hard. So today's episode is 110, so yes, That means today's vibe is going to be less true crime, more urban legends, and weird myths. While I do love me some scary stories, I'm going to have to start switching these episodes up. It's getting a bit difficult finding good urban legends, or at least ones that translate well into audio form. Due to technology and stuff, we've all probably become somewhat desensitized and reliant on visuals. I'll keep trying though. Maybe I could get some personal ghost or horror stories from listeners. That would be a good idea. If you have a story that you find creepy, be it ghostly or human, send it to my email. Anyway, as per usual, you will hear five different urban legends slash scary stories from different Asian countries. Depending on your tolerance for horror, you might yawn or you might want to turn on all the lights so you feel less alone. Or you might feel slightly spooked and forget about it right away, only to realize how creepy things can get in the middle of the night when you're lying in bed, all alone, in the dark. Fact, fiction, or a mixture of both. You decide. Let's begin. For our first tale, let's hop on over to the islands that make up the Philippines. We will be studying a strange creature that might appear harmless at first, but would turn out to be quite deadly. But is it real? Who knows? Unfortunately, those that might say absolutely yes it's real may not actually be around anymore to tell us about it. So I would believe that most people love babies. I mean, what's not to like? They're tiny, they can be cute. They sometimes make funny faces and noises, and even when they're in distress, they can be adorable in a helpless sort of way. Many times, they also tend to bring out the maternal and paternal side of an adult. So imagine you're walking around a rural forested area, and suddenly you hear the soft cries of a baby. What do you do? I'd say most of us would probably want to find the source of the sound, because there's no reason for us to think it's not a baby, despite how unlikely it seems. And what kind of monster would leave a crying baby alone in the middle of nowhere? So let's say you venture into the field or forest. The crying gets louder, and turns out you're right. It's a baby. But, hold on. Something doesn't feel right, 
It looks like a baby, sounds like a baby, but it is in fact something called a Tiyanak. What exactly is this thing called a Tiyanak? Most people would agree it's a blood-sucking demon who draws people in by pretending to be a baby in distress. It can mimic a baby's cry perfectly, which of course attracts the attention of normal people. Most adults want to help. Sometimes children who hear it get very curious. Either way, if you find a demon, that's it for you. At first, it'll appear to be a regular baby, but as soon as you pick it up and make eye contact with it, the baby's entire demeanor is set to change and harden into something demonic. It grows sharp teeth, which is then used to suck the blood out of its helpless victims. Can you get away? You can try, but it's not likely. Once the creature shows its true colors, it is fast, precise, and strong. You can run, but you probably cannot outrun it. There are various origins to this Tianak, so let's start with the most common ones. Some believe that they are souls of babies whose mothers died when giving birth, and it could be before the baby is even expelled from the mother's body. When this happens, the baby is not likely to survive on its own, and due to the isolation and quote-unquote abandonment, the babies end up morphing into some demon creature, luring kind strangers to their deaths. The next origin story has to do with religion. As many of you know, the Philippines is a very Catholic country, so this origin has very close ties to baptism. Some say that when a baby dies and has not yet been baptized, it will then turn into a demon vampire baby because it has not been blessed by the Lord. If an unbaptized baby dies and is buried in a Catholic cemetery, then it will also turn into a Tianak. If a woman goes through abortion, then her unborn baby will become a demon baby. Clearly, the Catholic Church is really obsessed with getting parents to baptize their babies, and in turn, they are also against abortions and birth control. It makes a lot of sense that they would use the myth of Tianak to further their religious agenda. What's interesting to note is that the whole concept of this demon baby has been around long before the Spanish arrived in the Philippines. So is the creation of this demon baby really connected to religion and baptism? Or could religion actually be something that prevents the creation of these demon babies? Or is religion just kind of writing on this Tianak story for their benefit? I don't know. You tell me. All I know is that if I hear a baby crying in the middle of nowhere, at night, I am probably going to call the police. Maybe it sounds cold-blooded, but I'm probably not going to investigate on my own like a third-tier character in a horror movie. Next up, let's move a little north to another island nation, as in Taiwan. Sometimes we hear about urban legends with no distinct location, but more subject-oriented, such as the slipmouth woman or even the Tianak. There's no location restriction when it comes to these legends, so in a sense, it can happen anywhere. But other legends are heavily reliant on exact locations. This is one of those. So let's talk about hospitals. In my opinion, 
It doesn't matter how much you try to make hospitals pretty, stylish, colorful, and bright. Because once it gets dark and the halls are deserted, it becomes one of the scariest places in the world. I don't know what it is about hospitals that make it so creepy. It's likely the high concentration of suffering and death in hospitals. Maybe it's the negative energy. Maybe it's the souls that are trapped in there. If you believe in souls, that is. The weird glowy green exit lights also make it seem extra eerie. It's extremely likely there's an alleged haunted hospital in every city around the world. And in Taiwan, the most famous one is called Xingling Hospital. And it is located in Tainan City, near the southern end of the island. So what's the story behind the hospital? And why is it labeled as the most famous haunted hospital on the entire island? Here are the general facts. The hospital was established by three doctors in the year 1975. The hospital is located in a pretty good location. And because of the doctor's expertise, plenty of people came from other nearby cities to get help. At one point in the late 70s and early 80s, the hospital was always busy and full. But as time went on, bigger and better equipped hospitals began to pop up in the same city and in surrounding areas. Xingling Hospital's business had started to suffer because of this, and in the year 1991, a huge scandal regarding the hospital broke out. Turns out, the hospital had been falsifying some of its documentation, which included obtaining illegal benefits, making up hospital patient records, and using funds illegally. Well, hospitals are places you are supposed to trust, because your life is sometimes literally in their hands. The scandal ended up destroying the hospital, and by the year 1993, the government ordered the hospital to shut down. Although it was shut down, the hospital still had plenty of medical equipment, beds, etc. It would kind of be a waste to, like, throw that all away, right? The initial plan was to have another large hospital take over management, and the remaining equipment could then be used once it reopened. Everything was left as is, and years went by. The hospital just sat there, abandoned, but fully equipped. Understandably, a huge abandoned hospital sitting there would naturally become the talk of the city and country, and eventually the question came up, is it haunted or just abandoned? On the surface, we wouldn't think of this place as haunted. I mean, it wasn't like they were secretly killing off patients and harvesting their organs, nor were they one of those asylums where they performed questionable experiments on their patients. The hospital simply shut down because of mismanagement. But what if that was just a cover story? What if it was indeed medical malpractice? Is it possible that it was labeled as mismanagement in order to keep a group of superstitious people at peace? Here are some internet urban legends that's connected to the hospital. A group of young people decided to venture into the abandoned hospital because, why not, it's scary and fun. They went around the empty hallways and eventually entered the most haunted location in a hospital, the morgue. After the group had their share of fun, they decided it was time to head out. One person took a selfie in front of the morgue, and as they were leaving, he suddenly received a phone call 
from an unknown number. It was odd because it was in the middle of the night, but they were curious so they picked up, and on the other end came a distressed voice begging for help. Please, help me. The person, of course, was scared half to death and hung up immediately. Could that have been a stupid prank by a friend? Possibly. In another instance, a young woman had plans to go into the hospital with her friends, but her boyfriend stopped her and explained that he had once entered the hospital with his own friends years ago, and all of them had gotten into separate car accidents after exploring, and one of his friends even died. Coincidence? I mean, anything is possible. Car accidents aren't exactly rare. One final internet legend is where a group of 15 people entered the hospital together. As they walked past the morgue, two people in the group suddenly freaked out. The other 13 people were confused and terrified, and so they all ran out to regroup. When asked what happened, the two people that freaked out explained that they had heard sounds of doors slamming, and not just from a distance, but extremely close and loud. Interestingly, the other 13 people did not hear a thing. Was it a prank conducted by the two friends? Again, anything is possible. Well, you get the gist of this place. People say it's haunted, but I cannot tell you for sure. The building sat abandoned for over two decades, and it was finally sold to a bank in the year 2018. Not sure if the place is operational or if anything is being done to it, but security has most likely tightened up. So, no more exploring. Also, if you're curious, a Taiwanese movie about this hospital came out in 2020. I think it's called Hospital, but no idea if it's any good. You can check it out and let me know. So, haunted or not? Guess we'll never really know. For our third tale, let's hop on over a bit to the west and see what Hong Kong has to offer us. If you've ever been to Hong Kong, you know that there are some areas that are extremely modern with modern high-rises and some other areas have preserved the old-style buildings where everything is very old and kind of cramped with food stalls everywhere. One of these restaurants, a typical Hong Kong-style cafe, received a phone call one day for food delivery. This supposedly took place in the year 1989, so definitely no Uber Eats available. Those were the days where food order and delivery was based on trust. So on this day, a restaurant worker picked up the call and took down the order from a phone call. An order that was for four people in total. The order was swiftly prepared, and once the designated delivery guy was back from his last run, they handed him the bags of food and told him where to go. He arrived quickly, rang the doorbell to the unit. The other side was very quiet, so the delivery guy rang the bell again, and this time, the door cracked open slightly. Whoever was on the other side asked the food to be placed outside the front door, and they slipped the money through the gap to the delivery guy. Weird? Not really. We do that now, where we ask our delivery person to leave the food outside. The important thing is that he got the money, so he shrugged and returned to the restaurant. Hours went by, and the restaurant finally closed for the day. 
the owner began to clear out the cash register to count the day's earnings, and to his surprise, he found a stack of so-called Joss paper, also known as incense paper. You know, the kind of fake money people burn for the deceased so they can use it in their afterlife. The owner was not amused and thought someone was pranking him, or worse, stealing from him. He called over all his workers and asked them, but everyone swore that they had no idea where the money came from. Maybe it was an honest mistake as this had never happened before, so the owner decided to let it go. A few days later, the same kind of money appeared in the cash register at the end of the day, and the owner got angry. Once was an accident, twice seemed deliberate. He asked everyone again if they can remember anything out of the ordinary, and if they had checked the money when getting paid. Everyone again said they did not notice anything odd. After some investigating, the owner noticed one thing. Both days he had found Joss paper. The same person had called for food delivery for four people. Was that a coincidence? The owner decided that the phone order had to be the culprit, as it was the only common denominator. Instead of telling his staff to reject their order from now on, he told them that he would make their delivery personally next time their order came in. Not long after, the same person called again to place the same exact order to the same address. The staff alerted the owner, and he prepared the food and was on his way. He needed to find out if these people were trying to prank him. Once he arrived, he left the food at their front door and the money again was slipped out from the crack. He took the money and inspected it. To his surprise and satisfaction, they were legit Hong Kong dollars and not Joss paper. But to be sure, he kept that money separate from his other earnings. Once the restaurant closed that night, he took out all the cash and was again shocked to find that the money he kept separate had somehow turned into Joss paper. He was no longer angry, but scared. Hong Kong people can be quite superstitious as well, and this turn of events made him wonder if there was something sinister going on in that apartment unit, especially since he had never seen the faces of those who ordered. He called the police and explained that something odd was going on in this specific apartment unit, kind of like asking for a welfare check, I guess. He was also technically owed money, so the police decided to take a look. They knocked on the door and did not get a response, but to their trained noses, they smelled something kind of odd. They forced the door open, and the smell became unbearable. Lying on the floor were four dead bodies. They had started decomposing, so the time of death was said to have been at least a few days to maybe a week. The authorities transported the bodies to the morgue and examined the Joss money that the restaurant received, and the results were very creepy. The Joss money had multiple sets of fingerprints, one set belonging to the delivery guy, one set belonging to the owner, and two other sets that belonged to two of the deceased. What's more curious is, what happened to the food? Was someone living with the four corpses, maybe hiding amongst the dead? Well, there was no one else in the apartment, but they could have made a run for it. The corpses were examined, and the coroner wasn't sure how to explain this, 
but all four of them had recently digested foods in their system, said to have been maybe a day old at most. The food in their system also matched the food that was delivered to them. But this was unlikely, as their bodies had been decomposing for days already. This sounds crazy, but this story allegedly made the papers back in the day because it was so odd. But just because it made the papers doesn't make it true. The logical part of me wants to say there has to be an explanation. Someone along the way must have made a mistake or someone is gaining something from the story. But what if it's true? What do you believe? If the corpses were coming back to life every night to eat, at least they weren't harming people. Maybe they just really liked the food from that place, and even in death, they couldn't let it go. Truth, fiction, or something in the middle. You be the judge. Embark on a journey into the unknown with Navigating Advocacy, where we turn armchair detectives into real-world advocates, one unsolved case at a time. Navigating Advocacy is a true crime podcast hosted by me, Melissa. And me, Whitney. We are two passionate advocates who believe in the power of action. Our podcast isn't about sensationalizing crime stories. It's about inspiring change. Join us as we explore cases with a focus on ethical storytelling. As individuals with a strong commitment to volunteering and a boots-on-the-ground approach, we believe that action-oriented advocacy is the means through which we can make a difference. We're here to empower you to also become advocates, no matter where or who you are. Whether you're a seasoned true crime fan or new to the genre, we invite you to join us on this journey of discovery and advocacy. Navigating Advocacy is available wherever you get your podcasts. According to statistics, the average person walks past 36 murderers in their lifetime. Oh my God, she was murdered. It was a murder? Unlike in Hollywood movies, they're not easy to spot. Where is she, buddy? Where is she? The devil made me turn her into ashes. They seamlessly blend into our everyday lives, assuming roles as friendly neighbors, helpful colleagues, or even the person lying beside you each night. I wanted to be out of jail. I couldn't wait till I got out. I was in there with someone who was clearly psychopathic. Using investigative research and primary audio, Morbidology is an award-winning true crime podcast that shines a light on the darkest corners of humanity. Through our investigation, we have attained evidence which we are not releasing at this time, which leads us to believe Jolene is not alive. Tune in to Morbidology each week across all podcast platforms. For tale number four, let's fly all the way up north to Japan. And although Japan has the weirdest cases in urban legends, this one might be a bit more sad than scary. A bit of background first. On March 11, 2011, an earthquake occurred in the Pacific Ocean, around 70 kilometers to the west of Japan. This earthquake was really intense, recorded as the, quote, most powerful earthquake ever recorded in Japan. Unquote. Due to the powerful earthquake, a tsunami was then triggered, which then caused a nuclear disaster in Fukushima, where three of its reactors overheated. People living within a 20-kilometer radius of the power plants were evacuated. 
This is a very basic and general rundown, and if you aren't aware of this incident, well, it was quite devastating. Almost 20,000 people lost their lives, more than 6,000 were injured, and because of the tsunami, more than 2,000 people went missing. Natural disasters are no joke, and it is one of those things where we humans have difficulty predicting, and it's even more difficult to protect yourself from it. Today's tale is an extension of this tragic event from 2011, which is generally referred to as the 311 disaster. After the earthquake, tsunami, and power plant meltdown, stories of ghosts and spirits began to show up, and most of these stories came from local taxi drivers. In one instance, a taxi driver stopped to pick up a passenger months after the disaster. This would have taken place maybe during summertime, and summers in Japan can get pretty hot. What first stood out to the driver was that the passenger was wearing a heavy winter coat. The taxi driver isn't the fashion or weather police, so he opened the door for the woman and she got in the back seat. When asked for her destination, the woman said she wanted to go to Minamihama district, which is an area that was basically destroyed by the tsunami. The driver began driving, but was a bit confused, and he conveyed his confusion. Why do you want to go there? There's nothing left. That's when the driver felt the air shift in the taxi, and he vividly remembered her whispering the words, Have I died? These words obviously surprised him, and he turned around to look at her, but to his surprise, his back seat was empty. In another incident told by a taxi driver, a man had flagged his cab down and provided him with a residential address, which was in the disaster zone of where the tsunami hit. The drive was uneventful, but once they arrived at the address, the driver was surprised to see that whatever house had once stood there had been completely destroyed during the earthquake and tsunami. The driver then asked the passenger if he had the right address, but when he turned to look, his backseat was, of course, empty. I guess in a sense, the spirit wanted to go back home, even though his home was no longer standing and he was no longer alive. Another urban legend that came after this disaster is a little more unsettling, and it didn't have anything to do with taxi drivers. A family managed to escape death, but lost their home. They had a strange encounter after revisiting their destroyed home. The father returned to where his home once stood, probably searching to see if anything was worth salvaging. In his search, he found a few Buddhist statues that seemed to be in good shape, so he brought them back to their new living space. This seems like a very innocuous thing to do. You're not stealing from the dead, you're just taking your own belongings back. But after taking those statues, the entire family began to have inexplicable encounters some of them frightening. Not long after the statues were brought back, his children began to get sick. But at the same time, that's not weird, right? Children get sick all the time. It's like a given. This alone would not have been concerning, but there were other strange happenings as well. The father was sleeping one night, and he woke up feeling a strange presence. And when he tried to look, he was sure he saw someone standing on his chest except that person was like a ghostly apparition. 
Is this hallucination? Or could it have been something else? There were also reports of people seeing ghostly figures in complete disarray or with missing body parts. If true, this is understandable because the earthquake and tsunami must have, quote, killed in so many different ways, unquote. Some say that when people are killed instantly or without notice, their spirits will linger because they are trying to understand what happened. Are these just made-up tales for those who remain, especially for family members who have lost loved ones during the disaster? Hard to say. A sociology student named Kudo Yuka had started a project in 2016 where she basically went around interviewing 100 taxi drivers in the area just to get their stories. Most drivers, though, rejected being interviewed and declined to share their experiences, but the ones who did share ended up having many points in common. For one thing, most of these ghost passengers picked up were younger people. Yuka's explanation is the following. Quote, Young people feel strongly chagrined at their death when they cannot meet people they love. As they want to convey their bitterness, they may have chosen taxis, which are like private rooms, as a medium to do so. Unquote. Secondly, a lot of these spirits did not seem to realize that they were spirits. Maybe they needed some kind of confirmation, like a look at where they were last seen alive, or some kind of reminder that they needed to leave this world behind. For naysayers, though, they believe that those who think they saw spirits experience this thing called mass hallucination, maybe because of their own trauma or something else. Either way, I cannot say for sure. I wasn't there, so who am I to reject these tales? Fact or fiction, or a little of both, you be the judge. As for the final tale, let's head to another country with an abundance of weird urban legends, South Korea. This urban legend supposedly takes place in the year 1991, in the city of Pohang, the largest city in North Gyeongsang province. So during that time, there were a series of apartment buildings in a neighborhood which formed this kind of community. There were rumors of residents dying inexplicably, all from heart failure. If these people were all old people or had heart conditions, that would not be too strange. But many of these deaths included healthy adults and children as well. How could this be? So our first stop of this tale takes us to apartment unit 1401. The residents were newlywed husband and wife, and they were happy and, of course, in love. This was their new home, and because it was their current love nest, they were mostly inseparable and did many things together, such as going on morning runs every day. On one of their usual morning jogs, they set off together on a hill near the apartment complex. They jogged, walked a bit, and chatted. As they continued on their jog, the wife suddenly realized her husband was no longer next to her. She quickly stopped and looked around, only to find her husband about 10 meters behind her. It was strange, though, because to her, it looked like he was talking to someone, but there was no one else around. They were alone. Or was he talking to himself? What's even more odd is that she saw him wave at someone, but again, 
Nobody else was there. They continued on their jog after that, and the wife was a little concerned. She wasn't going to let this go. As soon as they got back, she asked her husband what that was all about. Who was he talking and waving to? Her husband also had a confused look on his face and basically told her that he was talking to their neighbor from 1301. He explained that she was a young woman and she wanted to say hello to him and ask him what unit he was living in and he told her 1401. The husband was a bit defensive, maybe because he thought his wife was being jealous, but his wife felt even more confused and frustrated. She had not seen a single soul during their run. What the heck was her husband even talking about? This resulted in a petty argument, each side insisting that they were right, but because they had to get to work. This fight ended abruptly, and they both left for their respective jobs. During the workday, the wife could not get the situation out of her head. Was she overreacting? Maybe she just didn't see the lady because she was too focused on herself. She began to talk herself down, as if she was crazy, and of course, she began to feel bad. She decided that she would make it up to her husband that night by making his favorite dish for dinner. After she left her office, she stopped by the supermarket and purchased all the necessary ingredients and returned home. When she arrived home, she inserted her key into the lock, but found it to be unlocked. This only meant that her husband was probably already home. She was prepared to apologize and let it go, but instead, she found her husband lying on the floor in the living room, eyes wide open, and very much dead. It wasn't until after the funeral was over that she suddenly remembered the strange incident that morning of his death. A woman that lived in 1301. Could that mean anything? The wife decided to check it out herself, but when she got to the 1301, she realized that not only was the apartment empty, it had been sitting empty the entire time they were living there. Who was this woman her husband had supposedly talked to? And why would she lie about this? Of course, this was not the only incident involving the young woman from 1301 because if it was just a one-off, it wouldn't have become the urban legend that it is. In a similar incident, an elderly man that occupied Unit 808 with his wife also had a run-in with the young lady from 1301. One evening, as the couple got into bed, the husband suddenly told his wife about running into a young woman living in 1301 and how she had remembered him and asked him where he lived. The husband seemed flattered, and at the time, the wife didn't think it was weird. But not long after, her husband also died suddenly from heart failure. After a few similar incidents, the story of this deathbringer from 1301 began to spread through the community. And while some people dismissed it as gossip, others were not so sure. A university student who had been renting a room from a couple from Unit 705 had one day returned home looking absolutely terrified. And when the wife asked him what was wrong, he broke down, saying that he had accidentally run into a young woman who claimed to live in 1301. He was in complete shock, asking if he was going to be next. The wife was concerned, but she did as most would have done and comforted him. Unfortunately, well, you know what happened next. 
Soon after, many residents began to move out of the apartment complex. Even if they themselves had not such an encounter, it is better to be cautious than to test fate. Because of the reputation, it was impossible to sell their apartments at a good price, and most of them had to sell it at an obscenely low price. These units are said to be completely abandoned now, and their exact location is unknown, which is a very good way to fuel urban legends, because you cannot go verify the real story. Was there a vengeful spirit in the form of a young, beautiful woman roaming the complex, talking to men and making them feel special, tempting them, then taking their lives? Or could there be a more logical explanation? Maybe something is in the air or water. Mass hysteria? One silly story told that got out of hand? Anything is possible. But like I said, Asians can be very superstitious, and even if they're skeptical, they would rather be safe than sorry. If a beautiful woman tries to talk to you, it could be very innocent, but it could also be dangerous. So, ghosts or something else? You tell me. So there you have it. Five more tales from the internet that may either test your faith or solidify your current beliefs. After so many tales in the dark, where do you stand? Are you the type to tempt fate and want to see these beings? Or perhaps you're a firm non-believer and you find these urban legends dumb and have no desire to find out? Or are you like me, unsure of where you stand, but would rather remain on the safe side? This is why I've never dabbled in seances or Ouija boards. I've heard both sides. It's fake. It never works and also decide where weird shit happens. In some cultures, it is said that some people have the ability to sense these non-human beings as something in them are more sensitive and open to spirits. Although I don't think I'm one of those, I really don't have enough curiosity to find out, for sure. Thank you again for tuning in to another 5 Tales from the Dark. Please be safe, and remember... It does not hurt to be a little bit cautious. Till next time. Thank you for tuning in to the Asian Madness Podcast. If you enjoyed my content, please rate and review me on iTunes. If you would like to get in touch with me, you can find me on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, or email me at asianmadnesspod at gmail.com. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.